0: We've talked on previous episodes of Discovery Matters about all kinds of cells, haven't we, Connor?
1: Yes, there have been CAR T cell therapy and CHO cells and exactly. she cells, C cells by the seashore cells.
0: But today, let's look into the world of single cells, which kind of touches upon so many other topics we've discovered on
1: this podcast. So is this like a Tinder episode on cells? They're trying to match up? Or <laughs> oh, what specifically about dirty, single dirty, cells dirty should we man. be looking at?
0: No. Today, let's look at single cell sequencing, how it is advancing our understanding of biology and how it can be applied to improve diagnostic tests. So that is what matters on today's episode of Discovery Matters. Luciano Martellotto is the scientific director of single cell lab at Harvard Medical School. To understand how Luciano ended up in Harvard, we have to go back a few decades to a small town in Argentina.
2: You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be to be a vet until someone... A kid from his high school. ...taught me about DNA, and I just got struck by the lighting there, and I thought, okay, that's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life, and I want to understand that. I, I want to know what it is.
0: And that was the start of Luciano's career in biotechnology.
2: Which at the time in Argentina was actually just starting and and I thought it was amazing, very difficult because I was coming from a very small town in which, you know, things were very townish, very simple. So I had to learn a lot of things and from scratch understanding what was to live in a big city because I had to move to a big city and, and also needed to learn things that I haven't learned at school. Like, very basic stuff from math to biology and I thought okay this is challenging this is exactly what I want to do and and challenge was the fuel essentially of of my career just finding difficult things and trying to understand how those work.
0: Now this career of Luciano's so far has been a whirlwind.
2: So I first worked a little bit of in bacteria, and then I moved to plants genetics for my actual PhD. And while I was doing my PhD, a guy from Australia went to Argentina and said, look, would you like to go to Australia to work with us? And I said, yeah, why not?
0: And this kid from a small town in Argentina suddenly found himself in Australia as soon as he finished his PhD.
2: Essentially, the idea of that was just to improve some crops and pretty successful year with patents and stuff like that. But I wasn't really feeling it. It's not what I really wanted to do for the rest of my life. I wanted to do something more human related. I had completely abandoned the idea of working with animals. So...
0: He managed to contact someone at the john hopkins institute in the u.s
2: and he took me in as a you know i was a plant geneticist or so a molecular biologist in in plants and the guy said look i i know that you can do this and so i had to start reading about cancer again that was my challenge
1: so he's essentially kind of starting all over again from scratch kind of his
0: focus now is on cancer and once, he took a book out of the library called Biology of Cancer by Robert Weinberg.
2: I read it five times from page one to the end. I got that all in my head. It was, it was amazing to see all of these new things that were totally different to plants. And, and that's how I got my, my love for the human biology in general. This
0: shifted his focus to human genomics. Then he started thinking back to his time in Australia.
2: While I was in, uh, doing my postdoc in Australia, we were sequencing whole genomes of xenograft animals. They are mouse models that we have injected or introduced some human cells to to generate tumors in these animals, but we didn't have any understanding of what we were doing in terms of the informatics or, or in terms of how to interpret the data. So I always thought that if I ever had the chance to, to investigate a bit more on that, I would do it. That's when I, I learned about single cell genomics. That's what I fell in love with the single cell world.
0: But his journey was not over.
2: I came to New York for a conference last year. Then I happened to get in touch with someone here from Harvard that said, "Look, we need a person just like you here. Do you want to come?" I said, uh, "Okay. Well, I need to ask my wife." <laughs> so. You know, after difficult negotiations, we ended up in Boston, and that's where I am now.
1: Wow, what a journey. So w- what exactly does Luciano do in Boston at Harvard Medical School?
0: Today, the chameleon that is Luciano Martelotto is all about single-cell sequencing. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of single cells, it's important to understand that Luciano is a realist.
1: Okay,
2: so in what way?
0: So oddly, he spends a lot of time telling people not to conduct single
2: cell experiments. But not because I don't want them to do single cell. The problem is that people think that because the technology is available, everybody's ready for the technology, and that's not true. The fact that there are some protocols available and are optimized, that doesn't mean that the user is optimized for the protocol. So I always insist. If you have the opportunity to save money, just save the money for the rainy day. You don't have to do crazy experiments if they are not needed. The fact that the technology is there doesn't mean that you, you can use it or that it's necessary. It's like saying, oh, because the, the, you know now we can see from far, you know we can use the Hubble to see stars that are light years away. We're gonna use the Hubble to see how the moon looks like. You have to use it for things that are in, absolutely necessary. But not
1: everybody understands that. Okay, so not everybody should be doing it for its own sake, but just help me here. What is single cell sequencing apart from something difficult to say six times fast?
0: Well, imagine you have a pile of Lego in front of you.
1: Okay, so I'm a bit weird about my Lego. I like to separate them out. I've got my reds and my yellows and my greens and, and my blues and my transparents and then I like to separate them into like, never mind, okay, I can imagine it.
0: Exactly. Just watch your feet, because we all know how much it hurts when you step on those and bad Great
1: parent traps. They were the best. <laughs> okay, so really, okay. where were we? Lego, what's going on?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Okay, so we, we have a little piece of Lego, and for a non-expert eye, all the Legos look the same. But for those that are expert, every single piece of Lego is different. So you have one that has pieces that allow you to stick them together. Some others are a little bit round, a little bit longer, a little bit thinner. That's why we developed the different methods or, or the researchers developed on the different methods is to be able to get from every single piece of Lego as much information as we can. So now we can much better separate them or group them into things that are the same and differentiate them from things that are slightly different. And then based on that knowledge from the individual pieces, start saying, okay, well, this piece looks like this one, but it shouldn't not go here. It should go here because it's you know, it makes sense to fit it with this with this one, and so on and so forth.
1: Okay, so it's all about getting as much information from all the little pieces of Lego so we can separate and group them out from here into my little boxes of, you know.
0: Of good colours, basically, yes. And Luciano says this relates back to human atlases.
1: Ah, so this is like we did a human atlas thing right the way back when we were like at the very beginning of the Podcast series. Yeah. Uh, we
0: encourage you to dip back into the archive and listen to that. That was a fun interview with Matias. And in fact, Luciano says that a human cell atlas is basically cataloging those Lego pieces.
2: Just getting as much information as it can from every single one of the pieces. And all these pieces form part of a much bigger structure, which is, you know, it could be an organ, it could be a tissue, it could be a disease. And it's what you end up building with the Lego. So you know. it could be a castle, it could be a, I don't know, a, a car, it could be anything.
1: Okay, I really like this analogy, it's really easy to grasp. So practically, how is single cell sequencing and analysis, got my tongue around that one, how is
3: that used in the real world?
1: To answer that,
0: we have to meet James.
3: So I'm currently a lecturer at Cardiff University. I'm also a lab head. And he focuses his research
0: on sepsis.
3: Sepsis is essentially something that's not well known about. I mean, a lot of people have heard of the term septicemia, which is something called blood poisoning. But actually what sepsis is, is is when your immune system overreacts to infection. So everything goes a bit haywire and out of control. We don't know the full reasons why the tests involved in detecting it aren't as fast as we'd like. So a lot of people are now kind of using what we can to try and learn more and to try and detect it faster and to try and find new therapies that treat it. Sepsis is, it's one of the biggest killers globally. I think one in five people globally die of sepsis or you know complications linked to sepsis. And that doesn't always occur during the early stages. Sometimes it can occur months or years afterwards when perhaps the immune system hasn't recovered and they're more susceptible for other infections coming along later on.
1: So what's the situation with diagnosis today? How does that work?
3: There's a number of clinical tests that are used to diagnose it at the bedside. Beyond that, the one of the gold standard tests, as we call it, is to take a blood sample and to culture it just to see if there's any bacteria in the blood. So the majority of infections that cause sepsis are bacterial, not always the case. With sepsis, if you imagine it's a massive cascade that the faster you detect it, the better your chances are at surviving it. So if you are diagnosed very late on, your chances of surviving it are much lower. So what me and others are trying to do is to find ways to diagnose it faster, learn more to what's happening to the cells when this immune system goes out of control and to see then if we can develop things that improve patient outcome when sepsis happens.
1: So James wants to understand more about what's happening at the cellular level. How is he going to do this?
0: So recently, James has been using single cell analysis in his work to better understand sepsis and develop a rapid diagnostic test.
3: The immune response to infection is very complex. There's lots of different types of cells involved. So what single-cell analysis enables us to do is to be able to look at lots of different cell types at a single-cell level, so that we can identify specific changes in small groups of cells, if not individual cells, that are driving huge changes in the body. So this is something that we weren't able to do say 20 years ago. It's just expanding our knowledge of what is going on in any person who's going through sepsis.
0: Time is so important here.
3: What happens at say 24 hours post-diagnosis will be very different at say two hours post-diagnosis. So it's really critical we try to learn more at the early stages.
0: For James, single cell analysis is less like Lego and more like trying to do an experiment on a pool full of fish. Now that sounds slippery.
3: You take each fish and you put them in their own little pool. You then give them, let's say, a new bit of food or a treatment. Instead of that treatment going to one pool across all the fish, each fish gets their own individual treatment and then you can examine the differences that happen across a certain individual. It's being able to look at what we call the transcriptome, which is a fancy word for looking at how genes change at transcriptional level on a global scale. So it's being able to do this at a single cell level. So we can tell the difference of what's going on in one cell from another, even this very similar type.
1: So basically, hyper-targeting to find the information that you actually need. So it seems that single cell analysis is technically still relatively new as a technology. What are the technical challenges and barriers here?
3: When we use it, the the level of sequencing, this is a bit of a scientific term, is not as deep as it would be if you looked in a group of cells together. So we term this something called read depth, and this read depth could be better. And if it was better, then I think it would be the kind of route that most people would go. Things are getting a lot better. I mean, it's advanced so much since it first came out, more and more people are using it, costs are coming down, it's more widely used. So like any of these new techniques that come along, it doesn't take long before things become a lot easier to use and better, and then becomes the sort of technique that everyone is using.
1: And so what does James see as the next step, the future of single cell analysis and
3: sequencing?
0: He talks about a kind of harmonization.
3: I feel given the advancements that are being made in lots of different sequencing technologies that they'll all become quite harmonized together. The kind of idea that you could do a single analysis using almost, people call it lab on a chip.
1: Okay, so we are getting to lab on a chip, right?
0: Right, basically what it sounds like. A tiny device that integrates and automates multiple lab techniques into a system that fits on a chip.
1: That's fantastic. And people I'm have been not talking, talking about the edible this for chip a year. Kind. It's, not, it's not like a chip that you eat with mayonnaise in Holland or a chip that you eat with beer in Texas. It's a proper chip. It's a proper chip. So people have been talking about this for ages and now it's actually happening.
3: I think that's where I see it going. A huge mm-hmm. advancements are being made in recent years and it's making it more accessible for all that will will change the game.
1: So if we stick with the future for a while, How does Luciano in Harvard see the application of single cell sequencing impacting health and healthcare if he looks
2: 10 years ahead? I think the single cell, it's just an intermediate from what is coming in the future. I think people is using it right now because it's the newest and most influential technology in terms of how new technologies are evolving and also influential in the way that things are studied. But we are seeing more and more that spatial analysis is taking over.
1: Okay, spatial analysis, we've heard of that. It's basically looking at cells in the context of the original tissues that they're in and studying the cells where they actually come from.
0: Right.
2: I think that in the future, I don't know how long in the future, probably very, very close, We, we, we won't even need to take the sample out of the patient to do this type of analysis. I mean, it sounds science fiction, okay, and it sounds like something that you would see in, in in an Avatar movie, but if you think about this, the that, that five years ago, we would not even consider the possibility of doing spatial transcriptomics in the way that we do it now. We are heading to something even things that are going to come in the next 10 years, I cannot even imagine, because I know that New tech can bring new tech, uh, and and this is what is happening now.
1: I love the way like new technology means new technology means new capabilities. It's just glorious.
0: It's one of those virtuous circles of science.
1: We've we got some, we it's like the virtuous circle of science of single cell sequencing.
0: Say that six times fast.
1: Okay. Single cell sequencing, single cell, <laughs> cell, cell sequencing, cell, single, cell single cell sequencing, cell single cell sequencing. I can say that.
0: And on that medley, <laughs> we say thank you for listening to this episode of Discovery Matters. Discovery Matters executive producer is Andrea Killen and was produced with the help of Bethany Grace Armit Brewster. Editing, mixing, and music by Tom Henley and Banda Productions.